One of my biggest insecurities is starting projects that I never finish. This especially hurts me if I've gotten other people to put in time and work on it too. I hate talking up an idea I'm excited to start or that I'm already working on and looking in someone's eyes and imagining I know exactly what they're thinking. Yeah, right, like that will ever go anywhere. She's never finished anything a day in her life, all talk, no action. I do sort of operate off this understanding that everyone thinks that about me. That's probably not true, especially with people who haven't even known me for years, but I know that I've done that a million times. I get extremely maniacally passionate at the start of a project or when I first get an idea and feel like it could go somewhere. It's happened plenty of times that I've hit hiccups and they've slowed me down so much that somehow that passion goes right out the window. And I honestly don't know if that's something that other people even perceive about me or if it's just that I know how many times it's happened that I assume it's something you can smell wafting off me from a mile away. I'm trying to come to peace with the fact that starting a project doesn't mean I have to finish it for it to have meant something. If I start feeling differently in the middle of it, if I change or the world changes around me and it no longer feels as important to create, then maybe that's okay. It doesn't mean it was never worth starting to begin with, and it doesn't have to be this source of paralyzing shame. One thing I like about doing this podcast is that it's always a good place to repurpose some material that never quite made it where it was supposed to go. I have one of these projects that I really thought was going to be extremely important to me that I worked on for a while in 2019. I wanted to make a podcast where I interviewed people I know who are queer about how they came to understand their own identities. It started with friends and acquaintances, and I thought maybe in the future I might have the grounds to branch out to academics or writers or all sorts of people to get their perspectives too. I actually shared the intro I made for this podcast in last year's February project, which I sort of forgot about when I started planning this episode. But in addition to that intro, I actually did a decent number of interviews that have never seen the light of day, even though I had all these people spend their time talking to me, some of them even coming to my house and sitting there while I fought with my roommates' microphones and that I didn't know how to use. I asked questions about their journeys to coming out to themselves and others, but what I was really interested in was if people could remember their earliest exposure to queerness in media and what representations of characters might have contributed to their understanding of themselves. It ended up taking a backseat to my fiction project, and then through the pandemic, I started to lose any passion for it at all. It didn't really feel important to me anymore, not because the content wasn't important. Queer media is still my entire life. I don't really know what happened other than the goal for the end product started to slip out of focus for me, and I didn't feel as compelled as I once might have to pull it back. But I still have this handful of interviews that really deserve to be heard, so this is going to be a bit of a montage of those. Maybe one day I will find it in me to breathe new life into this project, and this could act as a bit of a teaser for it. But for now, here are some of those clips. Honestly, I feel like the club did have a big part in it because it was yeah. like suddenly seeing these people who weren't straight and were like celebrating or like were going out of their way to find media that wasn't straight or create media that wasn't straight. Yeah, probably around the same time is when I started reading fan fiction too, and specifically Harry Potter stuff. And so I saw like Slash or whatever. I didn't really interact with it, but I was aware of it. I think that's probably the most or like the earliest accurate representation would be more the fan fiction rather than friggin' Ryan Murphy. <laughs> and then when I got to college, I started <laughs> I started watching The L Word. And I had a friend who mentioned it to me and it was like, look, if you're questioning and trying to figure out who you are, this might be a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's just a bunch of lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember I watched the first couple of episodes and I was like, wait, 
this is real. Like they all meet up at a coffee shop and they're just talking and having a great time and talking about their relationships and super dramatic and crazy, but so amazing in so many ways. And I was like, okay, so this is possible. It is possible to be a normal human being that doesn't question who they are every day. And yes, there are hardships there, but what I loved about it was that it was a, this was a quote unquote normal person. This was, these were humans who decided to all be friends, who all happened to be gay together, who were just living their lives. And you never see that. I mean, yeah. you're seeing it more now in 2019, but at the time, you know, it was 2013. And I just remember being shocked. I was like, are you kidding me? They have a whole show about lesbians and nobody <laughs> told me. And I don't know, I used to watch people speed run that game so that's like play the game and beat it as fast as you can and i remember one speed runner there was a joke at the time there was a new zelda game coming out and everyone on twitch would say like what if link is a grill meaning what if link is the girl or imagine if zelda was a grill is the joke that what if, so yeah <laughs> it's it's dumb but everyone was saying they wanted link to be a girl in the next game and at one point the speed runner i watched who she ironically later came out as trans, was like, guys, you don't have to, like Link doesn't have to be a girl for you to find him cute. And like with the backdrop of that playing out in the game and then this speedrunner telling people like, it's okay to find Link cute. It, it kind of made both scenes kind of click in my brain of like, okay, like if you, yeah, you can kind of accept who you're attracted to without needing to know or like specify a gender. The, the thing that sticks out in my mind may not be the first, but I think it's the one that I interacted with in the most queer way. And that's the Mass Effect video game series where you can choose if you want to play as a man or a woman. And I always choose to play as a woman. And then it's like, because the programmers are lazy, the way the way that like romance in those games works is like there are certain people that you can be romanced and it doesn't matter what your gender is. There's more women than men available. So I was playing this like hot space lesbian, mm -hmm. like kicking ass, saving the universe, and I was like, I like this. Like I feel more represented by this kind of acting as this a woman was like an outlet. I feel like for the feminine energy that I have that I didn't have elsewhere in my life those games are also like really well written there's just like so much for for me there and it's for like playing out those like romantic relationships and also just like being this like badass woman who like i half wanted to date and half wanted to be like i was never really sure which i wanted more the queerness in that when you are you know commander shepherd the the this like woman space captain who's like romancing these like hot aliens because the writing is the same it's not explicitly queer it's not packaged as a queer story and as a result i didn't really think of it in those terms even though i mean it was definitely queer because you know by the very nature of what was going on but it wasn't until more recently looking back when i was like wow like kind of around the time i first started playing those games i would always pick the woman and I love that and I, that's what felt right. My mom told me growing up that being black is really hard in and of itself. Being a woman in and of itself is really hard. Being a black woman is the worst and yet the best of both worlds. And then now being who I am, being a black non-binary queer person, I was like, yeah, it's not great. It's not <laughs> great sometimes, it's hard. There's a lot of privilege 
in a lot of identities that are not any of those things. But there's also a lot of beauty in that that a lot of people don't see because we're not telling stories about black queer non-binary people and so Terrell McCraney is just one person there are so many people starting to do this yeah but he is just one great example of someone who is like let's take the black experience that with so much hardship and so much of what it means to grow up in a place that was never meant for you and then pair that with queerness and talk about how those two ideologies work really well together because both deal with so much hardship both deal with so many stories that we don't like talking about because they're hard because they're scary but let's do it anyway because these people exist and they're they're beautiful and valid and we need to talk about them i would tell my a younger version of myself let's stick with like adolescence high school you know because that's where the the identity sexual identities part starts to come into play just be you because i haven't had any negative reactions to me coming out from my family to my friends to my straight friends to my not straight friends no, no negative, no negative, no, I haven't lost any friends over this, which is amazing and I'm very grateful for. If anything, it's made my relationship stronger. And so I think I would tell that person, like, people like you because they like you. Let them know all of you because Ryan, talking to myself, you have pretty good taste in friends and you don't choose assholes for friends. So if they like you, they're pretty good. So let them know who you are for real when you're ready and Try to be ready before age 26. <laughs> That's what I would say. You can't change the timeline. <laughs> yeah, I know, but. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I come out at 18 and Hillary Clinton's president. That's what I was just <laughs> going to say that I was like, maybe that was the key. Thank God. Damn it, I fucked it all up. <laughs> Trump is my fault. <laughs> This has been day eight of the February Project September edition, a mini podcast where I make an audio piece of 10 minutes or less every day in the month of September 2021. 